The story of the prodigal son is one very familiar to all of us, for if we've darkened the door of the confessional on this side of the church, in recent years you've seen that image of the father welcoming the son back. And certainly it's a parable that pulls at the heartstrings of most Christians. It's a story in three parts, and this morning, dear brothers and sisters, I'd like to go through those three parts and consider to a degree this is an examination of conscience for each of us as we now are at the turning point, the halfway point of the season of Lent. This story that's very familiar to us needs to be given greater context because oftentimes we can read through it or listen to it and say, oh, well, that's not me or that's me or maybe I did that, but I didn't do that. And so we excuse ourselves thinking, well, I'm never that son or I'm never the other son or maybe I could never be like the father. But let us open our eyes. Let us ask our Lord to stir in our hearts a desire to understand this great gospel anew. So the younger son takes off with his inheritance and squanders it on a life of dissipation. Now, you may have never stolen early the inheritance that was promised to you. But for a Jewish kid to do something like this, and make no mistake about it, our Lord's talking to a very Jewish audience. He's talking to sinners, tax collectors, scribes, and Pharisees. He's trying to let them understand his story. He's talking about a Jewish boy taking his inheritance before the proper time. This is a major offense. Essentially, you're excluding yourself now from being part of the family by that action. And then not only does he take the inheritance early, but he walks away and wastes it, destroys himself in the meantime, and is drawn so low that he's willing to work with pigs, which, mind you, is not a food or an animal that Jewish people work with or consume, and he's willing to eat the food that the pigs eat. Now, that may be hard for us to imagine because as Christians we don't have food limits. But if you can imagine the thing that makes you most squeamish, for me that's hot tuna casserole. The idea is just disgusting. And this is what I'm willing to eat. This is what I'm, I'm willing to eat the stuff that makes hot tuna casserole so that I can live. This is the kind of dissipation we're talking about. And you may think, well, I've never taken my parents' 401k or the college inheritance that they gave to me so that I could get a degree and squandered it. Oh, really? Were you baptized? Have you never committed a sin since you were baptized? Every one of us, save maybe the smallest child in here who's recently been baptized and cannot commit personal sin, every one of us has thrown our baptismal inheritance away in some capacity. Maybe in a small way, but very often, unfortunately, we know it's been in large ways. And we may think, well, the law doesn't apply. Didn't Christ come to abolish? No, he said, I came to fulfill the law. And what he indicates by that is not so much that we are restricted to the Levitical laws of the Old Testament regarding foods, and purifications, but rather the moral law written on our heart, 
knowing good from evil, doing right and avoiding wrong. When we violate even the smallest inkling of that moral law, we are dissipating our inheritance. We are throwing away the grace of our baptism. And so, yes, it's easy to think, well, I've never been in such dire straits that I've gone into the life that's being described here. But really, when we turn even the slightest way away from God, we're beginning down that path. And the enemies of the world, they're all around us. The enemies in the world who tell us, oh, you Christians are caught up on your morality. Jesus said, the gate is narrow, and many will be left wailing and grinding their teeth. And so it behooves us to consider our lives in the context of Christ's command to love him and to love our neighbor. So part one is really considering that, yes, all of us at some point, and probably right now, are living as the younger son, that we are squandering our inheritance. Maybe not, again, in major ways, but if you are in major ways, you need to listen to the rest of the story. But even in minor ways, if we are dissipating that great inheritance, are we willing to turn back to the Father and say, I have offended you, and I have offended your church, and I want to come back to you. So the second part of this story is the Father's love. And again, to give you context, Jewish fathers don't run. That's just kind of a given. These guys are not going to run for anything. And secondly, when, some, when their son turns his back on their family, he owes him nothing. If he hears that his son dies in a foreign country feeding swine, who cares? Because his son chose to turn away from him. And yet, what do we see the Father in the Gospel do today? He doesn't sit and say, I told you so. He doesn't sit back and say, you come to me. No, the Father gets up and runs. He pulls himself up, quite literally, he pulls his tunic up above his knees so that he can run to be with his Son because he's so overfilled with joy. And that's what we have to see, dear brothers and sisters, is when we waste our, our lives in dissipation of sin and chasing the pursuits of the world, our Lord doesn't look at us with harshness, but rather He looks at us with great love. He sees within us the reason He created us in the first place, which is love. He sees within us our capacity to love and not our fears, our failures, and our faults. He sees within us all that he desires and he runs towards us and gives us himself completely. And the father doesn't just say, welcome back, but no, he clothes him in a cloak, a royal robe. He gives him a ring, a sign of power. He feeds him a feast. And our father does that for us every time we come to him humbly in the confessional. Remember, when we violate God, when we violate our, our God's covenant with us, when we violate the church, when we violate ourselves, when we turn to sin and turn against who we truly are, our loving Father's waiting there with mercy. And as soon as He sees the inkling in our thoughts and our hearts to start coming towards Him, inspired by Him, 
He runs towards us. He gives us himself radically. And how does he do that? The most obvious way, if it hasn't kind of hit you right in the head already, is confession. That the Father comes to us through the gift of his Son, his death on the cross, which redeems us and gives us the grace to be children of God through baptism. He constantly comes to us to restore the brokenness of our relationship with him through the gift of the sacrament of confession, through the gift of his mercy, which never ends. And so we must consider, when was my last good confession? Maybe it was two days ago. Have you sinned since then? Probably so. Maybe not big ways, but maybe small ways. And you turn these little things over to our Lord and you receive absolution in the Eucharist. But in big ways, we all know we've fallen. And we turn away from God's mercy because of pride. Well, that's not a sin. Because of the fear of humiliation. What will Father think of me? Because the time it takes, I just don't have it. These are all poor excuses, brothers and sisters. Poor excuses in the face of God's ridiculous mercy. And so let us finally look at the third act of this great story. The older son. And maybe because you come to Mass on Sundays and because you've been to confession at least once in the past year, you feel like, well, yeah, I got my act together. Well, so did the older son. He really felt like he had his act together. So much so that he accused his father of being unfair. Sounds a lot like the scribes and the Pharisees. Sounds a lot like the scribes and the Pharisees that say, look, I tithe. I fast twice a week. I I fulfill my Lenten obligations. Doesn't that make me good enough? Well, what does St. Paul say? He says we are to be ambassadors of God's mercy. Not toiling in our own righteousness and saying, look at how great I am but to go out to the ends of the world and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To extend the mercy that our Lord has shown you in your dissipation, has shown me in squandering my inheritance. The Lord has shown me mercy, and I must in turn give that mercy to others. That's who we're called to be simply as His children. Not older brothers who say, Wah! Why, 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 and complain, but to be mature Christians who say to the world that is in darkness and doubt and destruction, here's the light, here's what will heal you, here's what will give you peace, to be ambassadors for Christ and his loving mercy. So let us pray, dear brothers and sisters, as we make the turn during Lent on this Laetare Sunday, this joyful Sunday, that we can joyfully turn to our God in the confessional and have the gift of his mercy, that we can joyfully turn to one another and forgive each other's faults as we pray each week in the Our Father and truly mean what we say and do the act of mercy, to live the actions of God's love. And finally, let us turn to our Lord who humbled himself, became like one of us without sin, died on the cross for our salvation and continues to be with us under the appearance of bread and wine. The great mercy that he shows us. Let us rejoice and give him thanks.